Welcome, Ringrats, to this Ringcast episode three, or if you could, or you could say episode one plus two, the Debrinkat episode, maybe. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was gonna go with uh, Keith Magnuson. <laughs> I had to say that. I, I you know, I, I've been catching a lot of crap the last couple of hours. Let's say twelve hours or so, or uh, twelve to twenty-four hours about uh, the cat El Gato. But that's crap you'll gladly take. Yes, right? for sure. That's good for everyone. But uh, yeah. anyway, this, like I said, this is a Rinkcast episode three, sponsored by PuckHockey.com. That's P-U-C-K-H-C-K-Y, and uh, they're the proud, uh, the proud uh, merch line of Snoop Dogg, right? Snoop and Loop. Indeed. <laughs> and uh, you, it was just announced this week that. Uh, the puckhockey.com has their uh, discount code for us, the rink, all together, T H E R I N K. You'll get no 10, dash. Yep, no dash. And uh, you will get 10% off all uh, orders that you uh, place through them. And it's perfect time for Christmas to uh, head over to puckhockey.com and pick, pick yourself up some stuff. And we'll, like John said last time, we're, we're hoping to ha- have the, the rink.com merch line up maybe for Christmas. So uh, th- that might be us being a little bit uh, aggressive, but that's, uh, that would be that's nice. Do. That's how we roll. <laughs> good, good. So anyway, today is Sunday, November 12th, 2017. It's about uh, 730. We're right in the middle of Blackhawks game. So this is a rare mid game podcast since we don't normally really do that, but uh, we're in the middle of the second period. It's a four-four game, so I'm sure some interesting things will you'll hear. You may hear us shouting during uh, during this with the results of what happened during this game. So, but uh, I am gatekeeper. You are. I am gatekeeper, and I'm joined here by my good friend, co-host John Jekyll, and we What's are up? your trusted sources at the newest hockey hangout, the-rink.com, and we are joined today by our feature writer. Skills coach extraordinaire, Bob Rose Jr. Hello, sir. Great to be here, JJ. <laughs> well, it's great to have you, man. We wanted to finally introduce you, formally introduce you to the public, since you've, uh, we've, we've had a couple articles up on you, uh, or from you, and uh, we wanted everyone to, you know, hear your voice and, and be able to ask you some questions and stuff, so this was a good time love to it. do it. Love it, love it. Awesome, cool. So, uh, JJ, um I know you and Bob kind of go back a little bit with uh, the old hockey buzz crowd and uh, kind of let, you know, let's let the fans know, uh, you know, where Bob, where Bob came around and his expertise and your interaction. Yeah. With him. yeah well, I mean, I'm going to allow Bob to, uh, to introduce himself and, and tell the story, but I'll just, I'll just introduce it by saying that we used to have a, a really robust uh, message board community over on hockey buzz. And, you know, there still is one over there. Um, but, and we're hoping to recreate that on the rink.com soon when we have our message boards. But, um, you know, I would, <laughs> I would see these posts by this one guy that you went by the name, snap it upstairs. And in addition to always having these funny little, uh, return icons in them, um, they, uh, and Bob, I think you know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. They, <laughs> they were also always really, really insightful. Um, and insightful in terms of, um, you're talking about the mechanics of, of how the players play and things to look for at the games. And I, you know, I remember one thing that Bob always used to talk about was, you know, looking for those fast starts and stops and straight lines and not those wide looping turns. And, you know, when I started looking for that in the games, I'm like, 
yeah, I see exactly what he's saying, you know, in terms of the players, uh, you know, being more purposeful, um, not being tired, et cetera, those, just those little nuances. And, and then, you know, as I got to know Bob a little better, I realized that he was a skills coach and Bob, you know, from there, I'm going to let you, you know, just take the readers through your experience and the things that you do uh, when you're not right, dropping knowledge bombs on, on the rink.com. Sure. So hello, rink rats. And first again, JJ, big shout out to you for that whole environment you created at, at hockey buzz, great people there, great posters. You know, we've had some great banter over the years. And at the time that I found you, I was living out east, so it was also kind of a lifeline back to, you know, sweet home Chicago. So I, I really have enjoyed uh, reading what you were putting together, your insights, and then having really nice uh, interaction with the other people. Um, just what I mostly do right now is teach shooting. But, of course, shooting really encompasses all aspects of the game, right? Skating, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I'm affiliated with Tim Turk out of Toronto, who is – pretty much known as the NHL's top shooting coach. I mean, his students have included uh, Spets, uh, Steven Stamkos as teenagers. Uh, he was the Canadian shooting coach. He still works with Brendan Gallagher. Uh, he did a lot of work with P.K. Subban, and obviously he can really fire it. So he's had a lot of really high-profile uh, players currently in the NHL, international team. So Turkey, as he likes to be called, Super nice guy. He's taught me a lot of these subtle things, JJ, that you appreciated um, on the board with regard to shooting. Uh, one of the reasons I've kind of migrated into that directly is I, I can probably influence a player's uh, overall development maybe quicker, especially younger kids, because when they really learn that they can shoot, everything else kind of wakes up. Um, for me, my background is probably pretty much like the guy at the end of the bar, really, uh, other than... Uh, I was exposed to the Blackhawks as a very, very young kid. Like my dad had season tickets in the early 60s. So full disclosure, I'm not a very young guy, Rink Rats. Uh, <laughs> making me <laughs> so, feel young and but, I'm 43. <laughs> but here's the thing. It, that was such a powerful experience being at the old Chicago Stadium in the early 60s. And he had seasons all the way through until like the mid-70s. Uh, you know, you're a little kid, all the lights are off. Uh, these guys look like they were 15 feet tall, you know, skating up and down the ice. Uh, it was just an amazing experience, the sound, everything else. Uh, you know, we used to curve our own Northland sticks. Wow. With, you Northland. Know, boiling the blades in water, right? And then putting the, blade, the blades over the flame to uh, yeah. last tape, bend them under the door. Remember those days? Uh-huh. Yeah, so... Uh, you did a lot of that kind of stuff. I was more like a pond hockey wizard, so I, I didn't go to the ideal, uh, you know, high school for hockey. They didn't even have a team. So I, I never really found my way to some distinguished playing career, as my bio on the site says. But I'm a really intense, lifelong learner, and I'm a very good networker. And I've had NHL players as neighbors. Uh, you know, I caddied on the PGA Tour at 16 in a, in a PGA Tour event, you know, so I've been around high profile sport people. I've always loved the study of movement, whether it's baseball, power hitters, you know, long drivers in golf and, and guys who can really fire the biscuit. So I look for I look for things that uh, you're very kind in what you said, JJ. I try to connect things that maybe haven't been connected before in my own discovery. And that's something that I is I'd like to hopefully bring to you know 
to your enterprise, as I mentioned in my first article, what Hitch did that day that I was driving down Highway 1 in South Jersey when he said, hey, I see five in the picture everywhere, you know, on this 2010 team. And uh, I was like, wow, that's a great way to connect that and, and say it. So uh, I just continued to kind of learn more and more about the game. My son was a very fine prep school player on the East Coast. It just so happened that where I lived allowed me, as the bio now says, for the rats that want to look at it, you know, I was able to watch very high level, you know, AAA travel hockey, very high level East Coast prep hockey, Division One, because I actually lived in Princeton, New Jersey. So, you know, Hobie Baker rink there. Uh, I saw a ton of Division One players come through there. The Trenton Titans, the ECAHL team, and there's the Rangers, the Flyers, uh, you know, and the Devils all within, you know, driving distance. So I got to see a lot of hockey up close. And as we all know, when, you, when you're there, you see so much more, right? You yeah. see so much more. So I kind of funneled all of this learning, like I said, into one very specific thing, you know, it, and that right now is shooting. But, of course, it bleeds into to everything else. And one of the things that I'm just constantly amazed at is uh, – just how important the fundamentals are. Just the idea of properly getting in position to receive a pass. You know, you, you we were talking about El Gato, Top Cat, whatever you want to call him. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that he does so beautifully is, you know, he's always ready to shoot. Yeah. And that's not an accident, you know? And really any player could learn that if they really cared about it, but who cares about it? The goal scores, right? That's, it's a big separator. And I would just say, uh, before I turn it over to one of you guys is, you know, I knew this kid had the potential to be special a la a Brett Hull, even though they're not physically the same size. And I actually posted that JJ on your old, your old son. Yeah. Uh, that game against St. Louis, Gate, if you remember, I know the Hawks got blown out, but mm-hmm. with, before the game was in, you know, was a, was a blowout, Brinkett came in on the off wing, and he got the puck in a very tight space. Allen went down, and he chipped it right over his shoulder, at, you know, short side, and hit the crossbar. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that is a shooter shot because most guys would have just fired it right into his body or whatever. He just did a little, you know, sandwich flop shot right over his shoulder. And I'm very impressed with how this guy does whatever he needs to do to score. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, and you know, that, that kind of brings us into what we were, we were kind of talking this in the pregame and everything or the pre-chat and everything like that is that, you know, Debrinket is finally doing the things that John and I have harped on about yeah. finally getting, you know, getting goals because there there have been times in the game where it seems like he was maybe floating a little bit or maybe he wasn't out there with the right players or whatever it was, but he was sometimes just disappearing. And now, like these past, like tonight and last night, like uh, he's noticeable, very noticeable with the puck. I think he needed that goal really bad because yeah. I, think, I think he was one game away from being sent down to, to just learn how to fill it up again. Right. I mean, I just, yeah, that's exactly it. And I, I actually, I put out an article yesterday afternoon. Um, basically, you know, John had put one out and I had put one out. We both kind of said a lot of the same things, which is basically like, okay, 
overall, this whole team, like, he's got some issues. There's some things that need to change, or maybe there needs to be some kind of shake-up or something like that. And we both kind of said, and we've been saying for a while, that, like, if he's not going to score, then he's not doing them really any a whole lot of good. Because that's what he does. That's his pedigree is scoring goals. And, and if he's not doing that, he's kind of just floating around and taking up spot out on the ice. So, And then, of course, yesterday he comes out with two goals and an assist. And he's got a goal tonight. And I, as you were talking about Dabrinkit, it was hilarious because I'm watching the game here on my iPad. And sure. I'm watching a chance that Dabrinkit just had, you know, as you were saying this, Dabrinkit got fed for another goal on the back or could have been another goal on the back door he actually ended up putting it into uh the goalie's pads but um schmaltz set him up very similar to the goal earlier in the game with a really I nice did. pass between a set of legs where rickett was on the back door and he just kind of put it in the goalie's uh you know the goalie's lower leg but he could have easily had another goal just then while you were talking about it which is kind of Amazing. ironic well you know one of the things you mentioned uh schmaltz uh, and everybody saw how great he was the first two games. Then he took their first game in a period or whatever it was. He took the hit, and everyone's like, "What's wrong with him?" You know, I think what he just needs to do is decide. And I think he decided tonight. It looks like you know, hey, I'm just gonna play. I can't worry about getting hit in the head. If yeah. I just if, right, JJ. Yeah, and I think looking at Schmaltz, or excuse me, looking at Debrick the last couple of games. I think getting him out of the top six was maybe the best thing they could have done because it looks like he's just playing now. Right. He's not overthinking and maybe trying a little too hard to integrate his game with, with guys who play at a really high mental level, and he's just playing, and all of a sudden things are happening for him. You know, he's getting that confidence. So that, that's and that's probably a, a layman's description, but, but uh, that's just how it looks. You know, one of the things that I've, I've been tracking this year is – what we do with the older kids in, in shooting is we, we build a, a, a talent stack, as Kane skills coach, Derek likes to call it, where we, we try to teach them, you know, we do teach them, but hopefully they, they integrate it, different ways to release with their lower body so that they're not so predictable, right? So that they can't be read so easily by, by the goaltender. And one of the things, when you watch a lot of these power plays that are effective, there's a lot of passing going on that mirrors what Schmaltz did. I, I watched the tape of the first period, uh, you know, the highlights, be, you know, before we came on. And that pass that he made to Debrinket on, you know, coming down the right wing after he stole the puck from Hall. If you notice, his body is, is angled square. His head and shoulders and upper body are angled square towards the goalie up until the very last second. Then he threads that pass between that defender skate and stick right right to Schmaltz. And I mean, right to Dabrinkit. And all the good power plays today, there's always one or two of these passes where the player looks like he's passing the puck in a particular direction. And then at the very last minute, they roll their wrist, they open their wrist, they do something to redirect it at, at a much more severe angle. And I think the Hawks power play has suffered for years in that the subtlety of fakes has been missing from too many of their players in their passing. And what I mean by that is if you guys have coached or, you know, younger kids, they got to use huge fakes to fake somebody out. Right. But at the NHL level, it's a shoulder shrug. It's a head movement. It's the, it's the slightest of fakes that can get a guy to bite. And a lot of the Hawk power play passing has been, so station to station, so stagnant, right? Wouldn't you say? 
absolutely. I, yeah, I agree. We kind of talked about this a couple of podcasts ago and my, my, my big thing, and I don't know if you agree, but we, we could all have our own opinions and, and, uh, sure. but my, my, uh, my big problem with our power play was, is they were too deliberate. It was pass, wait, pass, wait, and they right. would wait and it would close up the lanes. There would be no lanes to get the puck to the net because everyone would catch up instead of like, you know, pass, pass, you know, making p- quicker passes, more concise passes that would open up a lane a little bit where a guy would trip guy would, you know, trip over a skate or whatever he would do, or he'd be a half second off something like that. They, they were moving so slowly and passing so slowly that the lanes were all closing up. And, and that's been like that for years. They've always done that. But some of these power plays, you watch them where it's like tick, 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 back and forth where they kind of move it around a little bit to open up the lane a little bit. They don't even attempt that. And they don't get the defense, the PKers to turn their have to look in two directions at once. Right. That's why I really love the old San Jose power play. And the Devils did it tonight. I saw it in one of the highlights where they ran the power play out of the corner, one of the deep corners, uh, so that just by that very spot, a defender's got to look on a diagonal. So he's got to look in two two different directions at once. Again, great power plays make players defending have to keep turning their heads, trying to look in two directions at once, and they can't do it. So they fed it. The guy was in the corner. He had numerous passing options, the corner below the goal line. I think they went behind the net, back to him, back behind the net, and and then to a guy right out in front of the net, and he popped it in. So the Hawk defenders have no idea who's behind them or off to the side or anything. And – like you say, Gate, the, the Hawk power play far too often is very slow, very deliberate, no movement with the feet or the players, and, right? And the, and the passing, though, there's no deception in the passing, like that Schmaltz pass off the rush. I mean, that's just what the league really requires now. Yeah. You, know, you, can't, you can't, like, just, here, I'm passing to this guy, right? I mean, it, it just it, it requires some deception, and we get none of that uh, on the back end. Yeah, it's yeah, it's very predictable with the way that they their power play is. Well, you know? even if I want to go D to D, say on a breakout and there's moderate pressure, not a ton of pressure, but there's a little bit, why not look up the ice like you're going up, let's say the right wall, and then go across at yeah. the last minute, you know, to hopefully a partner who's moving his feet or something. Yeah, you know, they're just it's always just very very you know it, they look like young kids sometimes and how they move move the puck. Yeah, they, oh, like yeah. young kids, that a coach has told them to do something, and that's what they do every time because that's what they were kind of told to do. That's kind of what I, I get that feeling as well. But uh, yeah, so I, it's just it's just kind of amazing though when you look at the pedigree of a lot of these players, you know that they that they've kind of been stuck in that in, in that in that situation. Uh, yeah. I, I'm just not sure. You know, it, it kind of leads me to some other thoughts. As I said, I'm I'm a really kind of a, I'm into very deep learning lifelong learning where I just take some things and really go deep with them and try to minimize the distractions when I do this studying. And you have to wonder, this is a question I'd be curious what you guys think. Are NHL teams, you know, really structured the right way for peak performance? In other words, it's clear that the Blackhawks had, uh, you know, they were ahead of everybody in 2010 with their roster makeup. They could play any style. Uh, They also had great, great scouting they were making great inroads in europe etc cetera, etc cetera. 
maybe their video guys were better. Now everybody's pretty close, right? And yeah. all of those things. So what's the next, you know, what's the next level? I mean, Toronto's reached out and hired Belfry as their, you know, kind of private skills coach, but he also can still work with Kane and, and other NHL players. But it's very hard for NHL players to get better uh, at things they should be better at, you know, during the season. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. it's like impossible. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, well, I guess look at like what the LA Kings are doing. They're doing something a little different where they have an offensive coordinator, which is, mm-hmm. you know, that's, you know, I guess it, going forward, you know, you can't keep all teams structured the same way and expect to stand out. So maybe you have to do something different. It was interesting to see a couple comments from Drew Doughty to uh, Pierre Lebrun mm-hmm. uh, a couple weeks ago where he didn't say anything negative, obviously, about Daryl Sutter. He won two cups with him, but it, it did seem like that team was much more focused on certain reads and certain aspects of, of, of offensive play that they had never cared about. I mean, Daryl was big on just win both slots. You know, he actually kind of said all we need, all we did on offense was get a, a bunch of guys in front and throw it down there and, and you know, muscle it in. So it, they're playing a very different kind of game now. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, though, the, it, it was it was noted and, and well-known all across the league that um, that they were kind of a puck possession team. <laughs> they weren't really a great shooting team, but they were a puck possession team, and that's how they were having a lot of their success. So, and, and that's kind of changed a little bit now. You know, one of the things that I've noticed in, in pattern recognition just through, again, seeing so many different games live at so many different levels is I look for uh, triangles amongst jerseys when the, when a team is on offense. So whether it's an equilateral triangle or, or uh, an isosceles triangle or a diagonal line, uh, teams that create the most of those the most often with the most movement also usually win, JJ, besides the start and stop. And one of the things that's plagued this Hawks team, I think, for the last two years and part of this year, is that too much of those attacks, like we've talked about, you commented on it on your old board. There's yep. the, there, no, you can't attack in layers if everybody's at the same depth as they yep. if they come across the attack zone. Right. And and I think that's something that systemically needs to be addressed potentially. That. You know, everybody knows what speed behind the puck is now. You know, Kaner kind of really brought that in vogue. But you also need speed ahead of the puck, right? Yeah. And sometimes that is the puck carrier himself, like Schmaltz demonstrated tonight. But uh, what's the last time, you, besides a stretch pass that was successful, that you can think of a Hawk player, I don't know about tonight, but where there was speed ahead of the puck as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, Bob, I've I've read you on the HB boards talking about attacking in layers and you know, it's funny because you talk about um, you know, puck movement and fakes on the power play and how it causes the defenders to have to look around and think twice. And I think it's the same thing with attacking with in layers that um, you know, it it, it drives the defense crazy because they don't know where to look next. Yeah. And that's I mean Let's face it. This game is a time and space game, right? It's time and space, control space, uh, and and also control the time it takes to to be places, as well as it being kind of an adrenaline game. You know, that's that's why I, I thought if Debrinket was able to score, 
you know, he start they they'd start to really come because I liked his instincts. I liked the variety of ways he he tried to score, and thankfully he did score. Otherwise, I think he'd be in Rockford instead yeah. of you know having yeah. a big game. I um, do too. I do too. Hey, you know, Bob, the, in answer to your earlier question too about you know where are those opportunities now for improvement in the game. If, you know, the one thing that, and I, this is sort of a no dub, but I think it bears mentioning is just, you know, watching the next generation of guys like McDavid and, and Matthews, um, guys like um, Ehlers um, at Winnipeg, um, just how fast these guys are and how they do things at top speed. It's really remarkable. Um, and these are, these are pretty big kids too, especially Matthews and McDavid. Um, and so that's, I think, you know, it just, that just is where the game seems to be going and where it has been going. You just don't see guys anymore who, who can play, who don't have really high speed now. Absolutely. And I would also say that it, it, it comes out in, in little, you know, snippets here and there uh, on the Internet. But, you know, Matthews is certainly not going to disclose all of his great little secrets, right, what's working for him. But I did see a, a tape a couple of weeks ago of just a ridiculous goal that, that was for sure uh, the product of extensive studying goaltenders and their tells, where he scored a goal on, on Craig Anderson. It might have been last year or this year. I don't know which. But, Gay, you're a goalie, right? Yep. Okay, so the, the term is like uh, right pad vertical, left pad vertical, right one, either one. And, it, and uh, Matthews was coming down the left wing, and he had, saw Anderson guarding the short side. And the minute he went down on the one, kind of like the same way Leighton was when Kane scored the 2010 yeah. cup Yeah. The minute he saw that move by Anderson, he shot the puck right at him, right at the goal stick, knowing that the goal stick was going to move six inches. And that's exactly where it went. It went yeah. right in. Yeah. Yeah, that's and, that's that new style too that they they use to to guard the posts. Me yeah. being being an old school guy myself, I don't I don't use that. Plus, I probably don't have the skill to do that. But um, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and, and I think JJ, when you combine the the, the power, speed, and skill of these yep. guys with some real in depth studying, like to me, if if I wanted to be the best uh, player in the league, you know, from a scoring standpoint, I'd be studying goalies the way, you know, top major league hitters study pitchers, you know, release points, tells, delivery, all that kind of stuff. Because we're all, you know, human nature, there, there are certain things that goalies do, right, Gate, that yeah. it's pretty hard to get rid of. And the other side of it, too, is there's the subconscious can't turn off a flinch. Like, I remember... Uh, when Steve Sullivan was on the Hawks, and I think the shootout had just started. And you remember he scored a bunch of shootout goals with the same move over and over. He'd come down the right, the goalie's left post, his right post. He'd fake a shot, catch it on his backhand, and then just chip it over the guy's shoulder, yeah. you know, time after time. But the the fake shot was such a good sell that the goalie had to, the goalie moved. He had to move a little bit, you know, yeah. and that's one of the things that, for you know, any parents of players listening, of young players, you know, one of the areas we really try to work on that with them is appreciating making a really, really good, you know, fake. How much that makes a difference, right? That the really selling the shot. You know, yeah, I was working yeah. on that very move, the Sullivan move, if you want to call it that, 
with a, a, a certain team the other day, and I was just astounded how many good players couldn't do it, like couldn't you know do it smoothly, where they could just fake the shot within the width of their feet, catch it on the backhand, and then just chip it in all in one motion. They all yeah. want to dust the puck off. Yeah. And play. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree. Um, you know, as a goalie, I, I often think about in, in my head, like, oh, you know, why, why, why am I doing this every time the player does this? You know, it's just like an instinct that I do these certain things and I try to fix them. But I mean, you know, I'm a beer league goalie. I'm a 43 year old beer league goalie. I mean, how much am I going to fix at this point in my career? But, you know, I try to at least think about it and uh, be conscious of it, but it definitely happens. You can, you, you do it, you can do it watching, you know, young goalies, old goalies, whatever. They all have their, their little tick, their little, you know, uh, I, you know, with I, I watching their glove, maybe their gloves too high, their gloves too low, whatever. There's always something out there that you can, you know, I, I, you know, it kind of makes me laugh a little bit when, when they're like, oh, goalies are so big. They cover up so much net that, you know, you can't score any goals. Well, you know what? You can score goals if you really work on it. And, uh, you know, you, you study the goalies a little bit. Well, better. I was just going to say, uh, we really should look no further than the game last night. I mean, that, that game winner that Saad got, he knew exactly where he was going with that puck on Darling. Yep. And oh, he put it right there. Yeah. Yeah. And. It's it's great you mentioned that because I was watching that earlier today in, in as slow as I could get it, and that puck appears to go in just over the top of the goalie stick, and it didn't even get above his pads. It was in that little crease. Yep. But as you noticed, JJ, at the very beginning when Darling locks in that five hole, you know, yep. you could drive a semi through it yep. at the beginning, and then he starts to close it down and. Uh, you know, Saad demonstrated uh, in slow motion, like just textbook, uh, you know, mechanics that we teach. You know, he's a left-handed shot, that left leg. He got a nice strong push off of his left, you know, inside edge of his left, left with his left skate. His bottom arm, we call it the power arm. That thing was fully extended. His top hand was away from his body. We call it the grip hand. He pulled it back all in one motion. So, and he got some nice flex on it, even though it was a super low shot. You know, it was hard, direct, right where he wanted it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's where also used to shoot too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's and, that is all great insight, Bob. I really appreciate you bringing this stuff up because I know when John and I uh, we put this concept together or we, we came together and, and we were given this opportunity. Um, our whole thing was, is like, we want to show people the common fan that may not notice these things, these little subtle things on a, on a game to game basis. You know, they just, they just see a guy shoot a puck into the net. They don't, you know, but the things you're bringing up are things that the in-depth type of things that a player or coach can bring to a fan that, to show them that there's way more to this than just, you know, picking up a stick and hacking it at the net and stuff. So that's, this is all great stuff, man. I really. And, and the root of it all is right for you, for JJ, for me, it's, it's love of the game, right? I mean, it's yeah. kind of like the more you discover and learn just the more amazing the game really is, you know, it's just, it is an amazing game. It's, I, I like to call it the jazz of sport because <laughs> it has to have a structure of some sort. But within that 200 by 85, uh, you can kind of riff as a as a team however you want to move, you know. And it, it it got me thinking the other day too about I would like to see the Hawks at the developmental level, like the ECHL, because 
there's other than goaltenders, there's a very small number of players, right, that have ever come all the way through yep. East AHL. And so why not use that league as kind of your mad scientist league where you run plays like the old Red Army Russian team where guys are just beating getting back on side. As one guy is like flying into the zone, the other guy is exiting, the, you know, where you have players moving in multiple directions, different kinds of weaves, different types of cycles. Uh, you know, I, I love the Blackhawks uh, high cycle, five man cycle. I don't know what happened to it. I think we saw it a little bit the other night, but um, why not try crazy stuff? Uh, down at the ECHL level with power play formations. Why not put three guys in front of the net off the draw if you win the draw and have a really good puck handler back there that, you know, sidesteps a couple guys and throws it on that. See what works. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't – that's why I'm saying I'm wondering what moving forward as this league is so even now, what are going to be the differentiators for an organization? Right. Like what are the things that are going to make you beyond the obvious? If you have great players, you're going to be a good team. But what are the other little things that that really make a monstrous difference? And I, I think players studying goaltenders heavily on film is one. I also think that if I was a forward, I'd be studying defenders as well. I mean, Belfry talks a lot about manipulating a player's feet, you know, getting his skates to be turn turn his skates in one direction, go in the other direction and all that. So that's quickly uh, all over the league. That's why John Merson for years was such a good defender because he rarely crossed over. You know, he rarely crossed over. And and uh, it was very hard to beat him one-on-one. Yeah. But there, I just really would love to see the Hawks somehow, you know, figure out that next level. And, and it also, is it is it how you structure your practice time, you know, with your players, even during the season? Yeah. So if a player... If a player has a particular thing that he needs to get better at, he can get some dedicated uh, support and coaching on it. One thing that I would do with players as well is um, take a guy like John Hayden, who I think has a lot of potential. He's a very unselfish player, which is obviously a, a nice trait. He does those little things, as I posted, you know, in some of the things I watch for in a game where he'll make a lot of these little plays that lead to goals, you know, he'll pay the price, he'll chip the puck out of a pile, he might not get an assist. But I think he has the potential to to be a Justin Williams type player. And what I mean by that is a player that can really be a great player in a small tight space. I'm going to I'm going to steal from Belfry again cuz he's one of my mentors even if he doesn't know it. Um, uh, he calls it the 10 foot game. So this isn't a guy that goes, you know, 180 feet, but it's a guy that once he gets the puck in the offensive zone, Keith Kachuk was a good one. It's hard to get the puck away from the guy, and the guy makes a play with it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the Hawks should think about, for their younger players, who is a, who's a, who's a good model for that guy? It doesn't mean the player needs to be limited by that model, but watch a bunch of tape of that guy, and in, in his prime, of course. Yeah. You know, well, and, and that's, say, a, hey, that's accentuating is, your skills, your your skills and what you're good at. So that's exactly. sure this this is these are things you already have. Let's just wake them up even more. Yeah, because I think uh, I think Hayden just needs a little bit, a little bit more hand speed in terms of moving the puck or a little more weight shift into one hip to the other when he's in tight spaces. He has very good instincts, I think. And I think he could just be one of these guys that once he gets possession, 
down low that would be really tough to to you know take the puck away from if he just can work on that a little more and more. What do you guys think? Well, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I'm I'm a big uh, Hayden fan. I mean, I, I like he's a uh, he's big. He can actually move. He can get a shot off. Um, he's got a little bit of that that dirtiness, you know, that that, that willingness to go down and dig for the puck. I, he's got a lot of good, uh, you know. Sometimes you don't see it so much with with the guys that want to bang and crash a little bit where they have good hands. He's actually got pretty good hands, and he can get a shot yeah, off does. pretty well. So he does. He's got and a he yeah, or nice round, a rounded skill set for a player. So, and I think that's one of the things that's hurting Ryan Hartman right now. With again, again, this is all projection, but it's like who would be the right model for him, right? Like he had 19 goals last year, showed some really nice uh, NHL level skills uh, this year. You know. I don't have any insight as to why it's not been very good other than the first game or first two games. Uh, but it could be, just be, you know, mental preparation. You know, young players sometimes don't have the consistency they need uh, unless they're really got the mental game going, right? Yeah. Where, they're, where they're preparing the same way. Uh, and that also could be plaguing some of our guys that have had so much success. You know, that are they putting in the same kind of mental preparation? Yeah. Or have they varied it based on their new levels, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Hartman, I think, could use a little bit of a, you know, maybe there's two or three players they show him like, hey, you know, you have this ability. Let's let's wake it up. Uh, because he looked like he was really coming on as a player. And, and now he's just kind of all over the place. He's kind of turning into that, like, I, I think a little too much of that Andrew Shaw getting in there and, and, and you know, instigating and the Brad Marchant, like, it, the bad parts of those players where they get in there and they're fighting and they're taking cheap shots at people and they're trying to, you know, instigate people taking penalties and things like that. I think he did a lot of that in the AHL and it got him in a lot of trouble. And then when he came up last year, they didn't, uh, you know, he, he kind of settled down and just turned into an actual hockey player and... uh then he did well, but now he's, it looks like he's back this year. I don't know if someone talked to him or someone said something to him like, Hey, you know, you gotta, you gotta bring a little more of that dirtiness back into there or something, but he's been like more back to what he was two years ago in the AHL. It's very interesting. You say that because I, I did see that the flyer game, uh, you know, start to finish the, the recent one. Uh, and he did something that really did not sit well with me. Uh, he didn't hurt anybody. It wasn't a cheap shot, but the Hawks were just being totally dominated. And there was something, as you say, Gate, something happened after the whistle, and he feigned a punch like he was going to clobber some guy in the face with a gloved fist. Yep. You know, and the guy flinched, and he skated away laughing, like hysterically. And I thought, nah, I, I just don't like that. I, I just don't think like when you're when your team is getting schooled, like. How is that like, oh, you really showed him, right? I yeah, mean, I, I agree. Yeah, yeah I completely you, agree with that. Because that's play? Do you recall, did you see that? Yeah, yourself? I did, I did. Oh. That was kind of, it was kind of reminiscent of what uh, Dave Boland did to Brad Marchant years ago, where he kind of did that head fake, like, like he's going to punch somebody and the guy, you know, flinches or whatever. Yeah, that's kind of just like, it's like a schoolyard high school thing. Yeah. And you're losing, you're getting, you're losing, like that doesn't, 
that doesn't gain you anything. No. And that's why I wonder, like you say, what is, what is he been told or what does he think he needs to do? Because I think he's, he's missing an opportunity right now to, to take his game to another level. And, and I think for a lot of these guys, and it may come down to possibly how the roster's put together. You've got guys that, you know, it's kind of like they've saved the world, you know, a whole bunch of times, right? They've had all these wars they've come back from. And now you got these other guys who just by association with them kind of are maybe thinking they've already done something and they haven't done anything. Yeah. You know, Bob, answer to answer your question, you know, who's the, the guy that, that Hartman might want to model after. I don't know. I thought when they put him on left wing last year, his, uh, his ability as a shooter really showed. And, um, he, uh, you know, because he's a right-hand shot coming down the left side. And, and uh, I, you know, I always thought that a guy that he could sort of emulate uh, in terms of his skill set was Patrick Sharp. Ah, it's funny you say that. That's who kind of I thought as well. Yeah. It, it, Sharpie would be good. And, you know, they got plenty of tape on Sharpie's greatest. They should put it together and say, yeah. this is what we want from you. Yeah. And, you know, Sharp was a guy who played with an edge. I mean, he was he was not a guy who uh, – Anybody could push around and, and uh, you know, Hartman can play that style, but he doesn't have to be an idiot. And unfortunately, you know, I think it's a maturity thing um, and he's probably trying to find what his role is in the NHL. And uh, but, yeah, I mean, because he's he's a little bit like Shaw. He just he goes a little too far, you know, beyond what he needs to do in that regard and just gets himself and the team in trouble. Yeah, 100 yeah. percent. Yeah. It, it, <coughs> excuse me. Sorry. Uh yeah, I mean, 19 goals last year, that, that's quite an achievement. And He could shoot. And and basically, he should build off of that strength, right? And and find, and watch it now, look what Dabrinkit's doing. Go back to being able to find those seams, right? Those quiet spaces or or know when to burst into a, into a seam to, to make a play. Uh, and I agree with you. I mean, Sharp would be a good model. Sharp in his prime was, he really was a pro's pro. I mean, he he really did everything that was asked of him, right. To make a difference. Yeah. Uh, and like you say, JJ, he laid some big hits on people and he got his nose dirty and yep. he didn't back down from anybody. But I just, I just didn't like that gesture when your, your team is getting completely schooled, you're getting globe trotted and you're going to like, you know, you know, do this fake punch. Like, I mean, what, just score a goal, you know? Right. Or, or at least at that point in time, and I'm not a big, you know, fight advocate or what like that, but if you're going to try and wake your team up or something like that, and maybe you could, you could find a guy that you could, you could tussle with a little bit to give your team a little bit of energy, do that. But the little fake thing, like that does nothing for your team. <laughs> exactly. It really doesn't. I mean, I, like I said, I'm not a big fight advocate, but you know, sometimes, sometimes it will wake your team up. You know, your whole team stands up if you win a fight and it gets right. your blood, you know, get your blood pumping just a little bit. Which is fine, right. you know. It's it happens in the game of hockey. So, but just doing that, like you, what are you gonna do? Go back to the bench and look. Well, I really got that guy, and and no one's yep. gonna, you know, who's gonna kind of slough it off and, eh, whatever. So, so I don't have the game on, uh, but I do see uh, my my phone here. Yeah, I was Did just gonna segue. <laughs> they whacked yeah. Seven five. Yeah. Uh, well, so since we started recording, um, the Blackhawks have given up three goals. Uh, they scored another goal, and uh, Corey Crawford has been pulled for Anton Forsberg for the third period. Forsberg oh, wow. gave up the seventh goal. Uh, it is a mass hysteria on the rink as I'm watching this happen in front of me. Wow. It's not a pretty game. It is sloppy. 
yeah, for sure. Sure. wide open and really? a mess. Yeah, yeah, it's it's end to end scoring and the goalies are you know getting little help and they're not helping themselves either. So, so why do you think Q has resist? And I, I'm not putting this all on Q, so that's not where I'm going. But one one of the deep pairings that I don't think we've seen this year, or maybe we did. Why not put the two Czech national players together, Ruta and, and Kempney? I, I mean, I don't know who's been getting schooled back there tonight, but it, if at all. But it's it just I don't understand why you wouldn't try that since those guys played together. Does that make sense to you guys to play them together? They played a little in um, in the preseason together. Yeah. Um, when I saw them in Columbus, uh, the opening night of preseason, they played together and uh, – yeah, I mean, they complement each other in terms of their sticks and, and uh, certainly language. Um, you know, I think w- what's happened is, is Ruta's kind of uh, gone up the depth chart where, where Kapney stayed down. And um, they, I think they've, they've uh, been, you know, trying Ruta in some pretty, you know, big responsibility situations. And, you know, I don't know. So, I mean, he does some things really well. He's, he's had a classic night tonight. He's had a couple of goals, I think. But he's also, I think he's like minus three too. So, um, you know, it's uh, he, he. So I, I don't know. I, I think it's actually a pretty good idea. I mean, they certainly both skate real well. Yeah, and I just can't see how you, you don't play camp at the end of the game. I get it that he's like a wild horse sometimes, but exactly. But it, uh, the guy has amazing athletic ability. It's yep. like just channel it. You know, I'm not again. I'm not saying it's easy, and and I think. For me, one of the biggest problems for the Blackhawks to overcome is, yeah, what is it? it? It's a combination probably of a whole bunch of stuff. And so one thing isn't going to fix it all. Do you think? No, I hear you on Kempney, though. I, I mean, I've been saying this for two years. Athletically, he does things that other guys can't dream of doing. I mean, he gets to pucks that, that other guys just can't get to. He just did it right now. I'm watching the game. He, he just right. outraced a New Jersey guy to the puck. And... um you know, he, but he, it, that's exactly it. He's like a wild horse. He gets caught way up ice at times, yep. he's turned around a little bit, but what he can do athletically, he, I mean, the Minnesota game, he was fantastic. Yeah. They just got to keep playing them and keep, and keep drilling them. That's what they got to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I think some of these guys, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I, was, I think some of these guys and even the, the foreign guys, like they come over here and, um, you know, if they don't, if they don't catch Q's eye real quick, then they get stuck in this you know, the quote unquote Q's doghouse where they're, you know, they're, they're getting, they're sitting a lot. And I don't know that they necessarily understand why they're sitting a lot because they're still playing the way they've always played, which is usually fairly well. And a lot of it doesn't, uh, there's no logic to it. Like, you know, constantly playing Gustav Forsling. Okay. The great, you're going to play him all the time. Well, the same thing, you know, he'll, he'll kind of do the same thing that might, that Kentney will do in a game. They might make an identical play. Kentney sits the next game, and Forsling does it. Why? Because he's older, or what? You know, I, I don't, I don't get what the reasoning is behind that. But you're going to let Forsling screw up all he wants, but you're not going to let Kentney screw up all he wants. It, it, there's not a lot of logic in all of it, I, other than just I like this guy better than I like this guy, and that's it. Yes, I mean, it, it, there's that old adage: your strength is your weakness, right? As well, and. It, it seems like that with uh, the Hall of Fame coach that, you know, his once he makes up his mind on something, uh, you know, you do need that kind of determination. But I think, like you say, that it, it 
it can work against him, right? If he if he just holds a certain confirmation bias about a guy yeah. and never allows it to change, I think in today's game you, you've got to, especially with certain players, you you got to let them have a comfort zone a little bit, you know, yeah, yeah, especially because- when you let other players, like you say, make the same mistakes, but you know they don't miss a shift, so. Yeah, I, I've always been that. That's always kind of driven me nuts, and 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 it doesn't always. It's not always like, well, the young players get a little bit of a leash. No, that's not always the case. Uh, and the old players don't always get a little bit of a leash. It, it's on a player by player basis, and I don't know who makes that determination. But sometimes it's really infuriating because it's just it doesn't make any sense. And no. I don't think that it's I don't think it's it's helping your player development either because. You know, not all players can sit for, uh, you know, four straight games and then come right back out and, you know, they're playing at that top level right away. Like, you know, sometimes you got that in your head where you're thinking, you know, oh, I've been sitting for four games. Now I got to Now I really got to to make a, 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 you know, make myself seen out there. And then you're, you know, taking chances you wouldn't normally take. And, you know, it, it can all cascade down. It, it could be mental. It doesn't always have to be just, you know, A or B. There's a lot of mental factors in this as well. So agree. I mean, like you say, a, a guy like Kevin, probably is thinking, I got to make something happen. You know, like that Montreal game, it's zero zero. I got to make something happen. Yeah. And uh, boom, nobody covers for him. He gets caught, bad pinch, goal, and and you know he had, today's the first day he's seen me. I just think that guy's got to play. I, I mean, I just think he's got to play. And I think this is his last year, is it not? Contract wise. Yeah, yes. I think he had a two year contract, so Oh, I thought it was I thought it was one. No. Oh, he's got another year? I hope so. Uh and you know, that's an area that I don't, you know, keep up with so greatly. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to look at that. But anyway. But um yeah, I, I hope that they could try to figure it out because it seems like it's the worst of the situations. It's it's questionable things strategically, it's questionable you know, efforts from certain players, everything, you know, it's just, it's going to be a, I think a high mountain and uh, your column about, are they, you know, are they as bad as, are they this bad? And I think JJ, you had comments about that as well. You know, the people that I've talked to also are very, very concerned, you know, like what is going on here in terms of the roster construction, you know, some of the mistakes players are making are just really, that that Philly game, the structure of the team play in that game was, you know, and every position was changed. I think for that game, and it sure showed. I mean, you yeah, had all over yeah. the ice. Yeah, that's a that's actually a good segue. I want to, you know, we're gonna we're gonna go long tonight, but that's fine. Um, sure. I kind of want to segue into what the you know the, the games that have happened. There was a couple of games that uh, happened since we recorded last. The one was the Philly game, like you mentioned, and then the Hurricanes game yesterday, where they won four three in overtime. The Philly game was kind of a I don't know. It gave everyone, you know, it left everyone with a bad taste in their mouth. Uh, Corey Crawford was in net. He didn't play great, but he didn't play terrible. Connor Murphy scored the only goal of the game. And, you know, after he was coming off a game where he actually played pretty, pretty bad. And and John and I both said, you know, if anyone had earned, you know, I, not that anyone had really should sit, but if anyone had earned themselves a game off, it was Connor Murphy. And then he comes back and he scores the only goal of the game. And then, uh, you know, like you said, it was just boring, flat, uh, you know, I don't know. Forsling uh, made his comeback from injury, and and then Kempney sat, which you know we just talked about him too. Um, 
And Murphy made his, his NHL debut on the left side. Yeah, right. Yeah, they said he had never done that before, and now he was, you know. Yeah, I, 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 I just kind of like, what is that about, you know? Yeah. But I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I honestly don't think they know what they're doing with Murphy anymore. It's kind of like what they do with the Trevor Daly situation, where they didn't really know what to do with him. Yeah, and the other thing is, is that I, I as I just previously mentioned, I, I just have not seen a Blackhawk team under Q really play a worse game, say from a team structure standpoint. I mean, there are players just all over the ice, just like it, it, it looked like a bad, let's say, uh, Bantam game or something, you know, or is the, it, it did it not, JJ? I mean, I was like. Well, and, you know, it's, I just think it's, I, I don't know, and I can't, I can't speak for, for Quenville or the coaching staff, what's going on with them, but I, it, assuming that they're pushing all the same buttons and doing what they usually do, then it's probably got to come back to the number of new faces, the number of young guys. Um, but like you, I don't understand playing, you know, defensemen on their offside who are, you know, honestly struggling on their on their natural side. Exactly. You put them on their offside, um, and and some of these moves with some of the wings, you know, playing them on on their their you know less uh, less capable sides. But I, I think that they're just casting about looking for solutions. And I don't know. It seems to me that the best thing to do is get, you know, your best guys in their natural positions and just, you know, get some continuity and drill them. And just that's how you that's how you get good. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, and then again, too, last night, um, the, that Hurricanes game, that game started off not well either. Uh, they they looked bad. They went down 0-2 and then they went down 3-1. And it looked like it was going to be just another, you know, the Hawks getting their butt kicked again. And uh, they kind of, you know, uh, to, you know for lack of a better term, flip that switch in the third period. And uh, DeBrinckit had a you know, breakout game, his coming out game, I think. Uh, Saad, well, you know, who had been playing well every game pretty much. Yeah. Some games he was the only guy playing well. That's right. Um, I love that kid. I mean, to me, he has a special thing that you can't coach, you can't train. We saw it in 2015, uh, if I may. Uh in in the those playoffs, he has that that gear. Like after both, let's say it's even strength, both teams go down and back. You know, two or three times. You know, both teams get good scoring. You know, everybody's gassed. Somehow he's got one last burst in his tank that creates goals. You know, everyone's everyone's got the lactic acid buildup in their muscles, and he's got that last little burst. That must be nice to be twenty four again, huh? Yeah, but I'm just saying he did it uh, again. Uh, one of those games against the Ducks where he just poked it off a guy's stick and everybody was tired. And boom! All of a sudden he wasn't, and I love that about him. You, yeah. That's just that's just special. But the, the thing is, again, is like what you know. Q is a Hall of Fame coach. I mean, Kevin Deneen is a very sharp guy, and he's a great play. He was a great player. And all you know. Was as dirty as hell as a demon, but he knows the game. Mm-hmm. Something else is going on there, I think. Besides the let's change every player's position with who he's playing with all at once. I almost feel like could it be a hey Stan, this is what you gave me. How do you like it? I I sometimes wonder that myself, and I think like for example Trevor Daly. Yeah. I- kind of think that may have come into play there that when you talk about confirmation bias um it just it just seems like he was never going to get a fair shot and um you know 
he wasn't, you know, a defenseman's defenseman when he came to Chicago, but he was a guy who had a 10-year resume, and he certainly had some skills, especially as far as moving the puck up the ice, um, you know, that, and that's been borne out with his experience in Pittsburgh. But for some reason, they just, he just never seemed to get out of Quenville's doghouse. And I do wonder if some of that's going on this year with some of these guys, like, for example, Murphy. Um, so I don't know. And it just, to me, it seems like kind of cutting off your nose to spite your face. And that's why I don't want to believe that. Right. But, uh, you know, yeah, some of the stuff just kind of defies explanation. Well, look, yeah. look what they yeah. did tonight. They're, they're, they're dressing seven defensemen tonight. When was the last time that happened? Yep. <laughs> Exactly. I, I just think that they got to straighten that out somehow, because when you think about it, I mean, we lost two of the most unselfish players, one to, you know, Big Hoss. We all know why. And then with with Hammer, you know, his 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 puck management wasn't so great, but still an amazing defender and a very selfless player. I mean, how many shots this guy took. So you lose both of those guys. Uh, you know, the locker room got thinner in terms of guys providing a good example, I think. You know, yeah. it got it got thinner. Well, I think you could also lump Marcus Kruger in there, too. Yeah, and Krug's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, another really good player uh, for the team. A great yeah. player for the team. And when he was really on, I felt like he, at games that I was at uh, up close to, he was one of the fastest players in the league, blue line to blue line, you know, angling guys off, getting the, on the right side of the puck yeah. defensively and just frustrating the hell out of really good pl- players. Yep, that's what he did. You know? Yeah. Uh, so, Bob, let me let me uh, switch to a question. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I remember over on Hockey Buzz a few weeks ago before we started the rank that you were talking about some thoughts that you had about how to use Patrick Kane on the power play. Oh, yes, I don't yes. think the Hawks have done that. It seems, you know, they've moved him out to the point now, which I think is kind of an interesting move, actually. It hasn't paid off yet, but um, some of the guys on our on our chat were asking about that, and they think it's a crazy idea. And I just thought, uh, you know, put that to you, and then also, you know, what you would do to fix the Hawks' power play. Okay. So we talked a little bit about some of the stuff, but, yeah, with Kaner, I, I, obviously with the puck, one of the most dangerous players in the game. So – one of the things that he excels at five on five is when he gets that engine going and he, and some space is created for him with some subtle legal picks and he kind of does the high cycle all by himself, right? When he goes round and round and round. So what I would do with him on the power play is I might start him on the point uh, like they have him now, but I wouldn't want him to play the point. There's a big difference. In other words, when he's on the point, you're already limiting his movement, right? Where, 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 what he can do. So if, if they win a draw back to him, he, he should be in motion instantly. And somebody else should roll back to take that spot so that he can actually, I would want Kane skating with the puck, like the entire power play. I don't mean standing still looking for a seam or a back door. I want him with the puck on the move, creating disruption and having guys on the move like they do on the five-man cycle. I mean, that's what you want to do. You want your best passer in the most dangerous situations. The other thing that I really would like to see him do is on the power play, try to run some stuff out of that corner, that goal line corner where the passer has behind the net. He's got up the wall. He's got in the slot. He's got a lot of different options. 
you know, the Hawks just as a team don't set enough quote-unquote legal picks. I know Jonathan Taves has gotten called for penalties a little bit this year, a couple times on that. But you watch some of these other teams, and they really make an effort to, to take control of space, to take control of space before the PKer can get and you know get to their guy with the puck. And I think they just don't work on it. I think you got to work on these little subtle things, like how do I take space before the other guy can get there, and how do how do we as a unit of five against four get these guys to have to keep turning their heads? And a lot of that is just player movement and puck movement. Um, I saw a tape of the five on three. I couldn't believe that patty cake is still going on after what? What's it been, JJ? Eight years, Kate? <laughs> yeah. You know, where they're just going back and forth, back and I mean, what is that accomplishing? I, I mean, while the other three are lined up across the goal line, right? One on the left post, one in the middle, one on the right post. Um, you can't, you just, you got to have some kind of triangles. Like, like I like to see, I like to see triangles. I like to see players create two on ones. I mentioned it in the slot article. Bergeron has that move. Crosby uses it. A lot of really good players use that move where they seek out contact down low. And then as the puck is being passed, they move off, they move off of the defender and everybody's puck watching for that split second. Now the player's open. I think that's, again, something the players don't seem to be grasping is when to actually move, which sounds absurd. These are some of these guys are Hall of Famers and, you know, amazing players. But I think some of them are just a little stagnant in in their approach. You have to be moving while the pass is moving if it's not to you. Right. So that you're not in the same spot. And they just don't seem to do enough of that. And then the other thing is. We talked about it in the slot article, you know, the big buff move the other night, uh, the Forsling goal, I think was even strength, but there was all three forwards were in front of the net, right? So Darling couldn't see anything and they actually had total control of that space. The Hawk power play never doesn't seem to control any space. And so I would want, you know, came to be moving with the puck as much as possible. I would want to see them try to control space. I, I would I would like them to try to make the D have to look in two directions at once. And I'd like to see them try this corner, uh, th- this corner option. In other words, get set up down there. When Kane gets up against the wall, though, he's too easy to pin if, if the refs really are allowing a lot of nonsense, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to have to send a strongly worded email to the uh, Blackhawks brass, I think. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, these guys, I mean, come on. Th- those guys are, are, you know, pretty brilliant coaches. Yeah. And that's why I think there's other things going on. I, I would say in Q's defense, um, I think that he probably says certain things. And for whatever reason, the players are, you know, they're kind of allowed to do what they do. And it's been this way forever, right? I mean, he. I think he lets them take their reads and they try certain things, but he doesn't want to turn it into tabletop. You're going to pass to you and you're going to pass to you. And I, I, I just think that maybe the answer is that the players need to look at tape together and they actually need to have a conversation. Like, 
I would ask Franz and Keith on that five and three. Why are you guys passing it back and forth to each other like thirty times? What what is that accomplishing? Like, if it doesn't work like three times, then you need to move to another uh, something else. <laughs> yeah, and, I, right. I think the power play too is they they've got to stick with some units. Yeah, and then drill them and and the principles that you're talking about, Bob, moving moving their feet, moving players as well as moving the puck. Um, but you know, the, I think part of the problem is, is they don't stick with the units for very long, and it's really hard for these guys to communicate and get a sense of where each other are going to be. I know they don't they don't keep their lines, much less their power play, together for more than like you know ten minutes, four shifts, and they're already switching things up, which I think causes more chaos than anything. I don't think it helps them at all. And like the Devils' one power play goal I, I, in the first period, it started in the corner behind the net, right out to the front of the net. Right, one, two, three, in, and I, I just think they got to be more mindful. I think Jonathan Taves needs to figure out like what what is he doing on the power play, right? He's he's not a great screener, you know. He's not buff. He's not Anisimov. Uh, he's not necessarily a great shooter either. But you know, he he does get in front of the net and do some disruption. But he's got to find. He's got to find, a, I, I would say, a power play identity as either a really good uh, setup guy or a, a really good finisher off of something else. I, I, I just think for years, he's been on the power play. Keith has been on the power play. But Duncan Keith, I don't know if the, that was also part of the question. I would make Duncan Keith shoot about 100 snapshots a day. I mean, you saw that goal that Anisimov scored on against uh, – who was that? Uh, was it that they? Oh, against the Wild, I think it was. Right, they won that game two nothing. He took a snapshot, not a slap shot. Mm-hmm. He took a snapshot. It was about chest high, and yeah, it was against the Wild. He got it by everybody. Got it right towards the net. It was redirected. But what's missing because he doesn't ever use the shot is beat somebody. Right, like Drew Doughty does it all the time. Keith has has great skill. Beat the checker, go to the net, get a return pass, right? You're on the point. Instead of just going back and forth, make the pass cut to the net. If you're open on the return pass, catch it and, and snap it. Yeah. They don't do any of that, right? Yeah. I mean, Keith never goes down. I mean, they had him down low a little bit last year in the slot, like as a slot guy that came in and out. But I think that he, he's one of these guys that uh, has – even more potential offensively than he's either been allowed to do or developed or wants to do. I, I really think the guy could be a 20 goal scorer every year with that kind of give and go uh, mentality. Do you remember the Kings playoff series? I think it was 14 where we lost, but we came back and won that game in LA game six. He did yep. a beautiful give and go with Kaner. You remember that? Yep. I mean, I remember the, um, I think it was the Minnesota series in 2015 and the Anaheim series, I mean, there were times when he took over the game. Yeah. With offensive skill, with stick handling moves. I mean, he yeah. was amazing. Yeah. And, and they need that now. And certainly I'm not blaming Duncan Keith for what's going on now on the team. But I think for them to have any chance to go to a you know a level that we're accustomed to, they need some offense from him. You know, like he's got to he's got to start saying, OK, after I pass it to this guy, I'm actually taking off. I'm going to the you know, I want the return pass at the top of the circle. I'm I'm not going to stand here 
and and wait for the turnover and be back, you know, defending all the time. Right. I just think I would like to see him utilized in a way that suits his, you know, his skill set. He's a very good, uh, you know, passer, uh, not necessarily, you know, when he's standing still, but like in a game five on five, a lot of those stretch passes that were so good for so long, those were like snapshots, you know, ice hugger snapshot type, hard, flat, you know, 120 foot passes. So he has the ability. He just needs to put those on net, you know? Yeah. Well, that's part of my contention with Duncan Keith is those, those slap shots that get blocked, which seems to be like a thousand a game that he can't get them through. So, you know, you, you'd think after a while you get a thousand of them blocked, you might try something a little different, like a snapshot. And it, it, for a while there, it didn't seem like he wanted to do it. He just wanted to keep, he was going to keep pounding away until he finally got a shot through. So. I mean, I understand why they've kept him on the power play for so long, because there's an element to his game that, the other, some of these other guys just don't have, and that is his ability to get to a puck as it's about to leave the zone. You know, I, he's done that many, many times where he's saved a, saved a puck. But you got to, if he's going to be a key guy in that power play, once they're set up, he's got to do more, have more variation in what, what his approach is. Yeah. I mean, those are the things I would look at, JJ. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I think we've had a really nice long talk here about a lot of stuff going on with the Blackhawks. Um, I want to kind of maybe get into some of the questions a little bit that were we had because sure. questions were kind of directed towards you. So okay. um, I kind of want to wrap up with those questions and then we'll do, do a little bit of housekeeping and we'll get out of here for the night. Sure. Cause we're about uh, probably about an hour and a half, almost just over an hour and a half in. So um, first one, I, I know uh brain sprain brought up the one with why is the power play so damn bad? We kind of talked about the power play. So we'll, we already talked about that. Um, a good one that Brain Sprain brought up was since Bob is a coach, uh, when uh, when you are raising a youth player, how can you tell if the coaches are developing good youth players? I guess that's the way he worded it. So, well, I mean, the, the, okay. So, is there any age attached to that or or not? I doubt. I would assume um, not. I think he's got a son in mites for yeah. for what it's worth. Yeah. Okay, so I, I look at it this way. First, are the, are the coaches expanding the players, you know, passion for the game? Because we all know a player only goes as far as their love of the game takes them, at the youth level especially. So are the coaches, you know, are they making it really fun for the kids to come to the rink at a might level or a very young level? This should not be work, right? This, this It's a blessing to be on the ice. I mean, it's a gift. So it should be fun. It should be high energy. Um you know, I'm not a big believer in yelling, which, you know, hockey is a sport where there's a ton of yelling. I, I like to teach. I mean, I'm just talking about myself. I, I think kids learn more, uh, especially today when, you know, the coaches are, are teaching as opposed to, you know, yelling and trying to intimidate. The sport should be fun. I mean, you have to be courageous to play it anyway. So, you know, you don't need your coach yelling. Um, I would also look towards is the young boy or girl getting better? Not necessarily practice to practice, but, you know, maybe check a date off like, okay, get a, get a either video or get a clear picture of how the, how the, the, the child's performing. And then kind of think about a month later, are they, you know, are they better? And you can usually tell, are they picking up skill sets? Are they understanding the game better? 
let me let me give you a really quick interesting thing for youth hockey. I just think a lot of time is spent on trying to do NHL, you know, breakouts and all this stuff. And it'd be better spent on just teaching players how to form triangles with each other, quite frankly. In other words, how to work in space. Yeah, uh, Very quickly, you know, Southwest Airlines used to have a famous job interview thing where uh, when they were first starting, they would create a, uh, they'd get like 300 people in a hotel lobby waiting, you know, to go into the thing for the interviews. They'd create a purposeful distraction and then they'd, they'd watch the people to see who did what. You, as a youth coach, you can take a puck, throw it on the ice and say, uh, oh, I'll be, you know, I have to take this phone call, I'll be right there, and just watch to see what which kids do what and how they act. Uh, I, I just think that there, if the child is getting better, if the child loves the game, um, that's one of the ways that you know that the coaches are doing a good job as opposed to uh, the, the coaching being about the coach and the coaching only being about wins. You know, I mean, I could drill down on this for quite some time, but that's that's kind of what I would look for is a child skating better, understanding the game better, uh, learning how to play the game. There's a lot of kids today, even that are fairly good players, they don't really know how to play the game, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. <laughs> so, I agree for sure. I mean, those are some elements – uh, that that I would look for is uh, you know are they are they getting better and I would also say this I hate to say it but but sometimes certain parent coaches who are devoting a lot of their time it's a very hard job often you know minimal pay if at all uh, sometimes they they might have too much bias you know towards their 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 child or their child's friends and. I think at the very lower levels, you have to be very careful about being, you know, very inclusive at that age. Yeah, know? that that can be really rough because I, in my experiences from coaching, um, I didn't have any children in the program. I just wanted to do it because I wanted to continue to be involved with the program and I wanted to, you know, coach, teach kids. So I had no bias for any kids. It was just, you know, my opinion. Uh, and what I thought, you know, as far as whether kids should play and things like that. And I had definitely got into a couple of uh, discussions, let's say, with parents about, you know, why are you being so hard on my kid? Well, your kid's doing this and your kid's doing this and he's not paying attention and he's not, you know, this, you know, yeah. whatever. I would give him the explanation why. And it's like, you know, just because it's your kid doesn't mean that they get any kind of special treatment. And uh, yeah, so that, I agree with that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, there, there are other things, too, I think, from a coach's standpoint, uh, to kind of maybe get on the same page with the parents before the season even starts, you know, have a list of here, here, here's where we're trying to go. You know, here's here's what we're shooting for. You know, yeah. uh, again, a very quick example. There was a very good coach. I can't recall his name. It was, you know, many years ago. He was coaching for maybe the only AAA team in Illinois at the time, or maybe there was a couple more, but... He would not allow his defensemen to use the glass for like the first five or ten games of the season to, to get out of pressure. They had to learn, you know, to do whatever it took to, you know, make a play with the puck. And, you know, so it's, he told the parents they were going to lose some games earlier in the year because he wanted these guys to be able to make really high-end plays and just to be patient. And, you know, they, they would wind up winning everything. By the end, you know, by the spring. That's great. Because, yeah, that's great. Yeah. 
And, and so that, that's the kind of thing. And I would also tell the parent, you know, the parents just need to understand, you know, like, you know, do you like the coach on a basic level? Are they communicating to you? Are they respecting the children? You know, you know yeah. that kind of stuff. Right. And the parent has to look within too and make sure they're not, you know, expecting too much. Right. Right. Um, let's see. Brainsbrain had a couple other questions quickly. Sure. Um, for the last 10 years, the Blackhawks have developed very few NHL defense, and this is something I've brought up several times. Uh, Kempney and Ruta were European free agent signings. Only Forsling has really come through the system. Why is this? You know, I think you have to look, uh, and some of JJ's frequent posters at the old site had brought this up too. Uh, you have to wonder about the scouting. Like, why? what's the consensus of the players they've been picking? And, and what is the team philosophy on what makes a good defender, right? I mean, yes. what is the team philosophy on that? I completely agree with that. that I, I'm 100% with you on this. Uh, I was I, I went back and I kind of dug back on, on, on this and t- I looked at all the defensemen that they had uh, picked in Stan Bowman's draft era. And uh, it was like Jalmerson and then the next was like St- Adam Clendenning and Steve Johns. And uh, as far as like um, NHL games played, which, you know, is a subjective, you know, metric, but still as far as experience goes and in the NHL, whether it was with Chicago or not, that's kind of how it dropped off, how far it dropped off in, in the era. And he's been around for, you know, almost a decade. So it's just hard to believe, you know, I mean, it's just hard to believe that you could be, so creative and innovative in certain picks with the certain players that hit, right? And then wind up just completely dry on on, on the back end. And you also have to wonder, um, you know, what was there a disconnect also between what was happening in Rockford versus, you know, what they were looking for? I, I, I don't really know because, uh, you know, thankfully you've got Mario for Rockford, right? Yeah. I mean, he... He's doing a great job there. I, I just don't. I mean, I followed a little bit down there, but I don't know what the prior philosophy was. It seems like this new coach is going to be fantastic, uh, but I, I just, I, I'm with you. I think that's a major reason that they're having trouble right now. Is where are these guys? And Forsling, right, was was in the trade with Vancouver. Yeah, yeah, they didn't so- even draft him. <laughs> To draft him. Nope. And Nick Letty that they had for a while. I mean, that was another trade. So I, I don't know that the Blackhawks have ever declared, well, we're not going to develop defense and we're just going to trade for him. I, I don't think anybody would be, you know, that that uh, single-minded about it, right? No. Uh, but it, it just seems amazing. And, and this year, they what are they, uh, like two out of the first three draft picks in, in the early rounds was were defensemen. So it's like now they're trying to do it. But it's like it's almost like a panic. Like we don't have any guys now. We need to start getting some guys. Yeah, I I just think uh, you know the it'd be interesting to hear what what some of the perspectives were from the the people that matter on on that's one of several issues, right? Yeah. <laughs> that we'd yeah. all like to know a little more sure. about. Uh, one more question uh, that Brainsprain had. He was uh, he said the Blackhawks seem to be having or seem to be getting pinned in their own end. Is this due to forwards losing board battles, D-men making bad passes, or bad overall breakout schemes? You know, I'd say uh, he's obviously a, a pretty knowledgeable 
observer. It's all of those things, all at the same time, all at different times. One of the things I've noticed this year is is the, uh, it seems like an, an incredible amount of passing back and forth behind the hawk net, you know, uh, which to me doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Another one that I uh, the, the net the hawk defend. The other thing is, it seems like uh, JG, you know how we were talking about Kempney before. It it does almost seem like there's a a rule that doesn't allow these guys just to skate that thing out when there's yeah. a lane and it's yeah. wide open. You know, yeah. I don't understand that. The players that can really skate with it, uh, often that's a way to beat a certain kind of trap or a forecheck. I don't I don't understand why they they don't skate it out of trouble more often because it's there. I also think part of it is um, the, the, the Blackhawk forwards do a very poor job, and we've talked about it, JJ, on the boards, uh, obstructing, obstructing four checkers. Most of these other teams' four checkers seem to just have a clear lane to our guys, yeah. and yet we can never get to their guys, right, because the other teams' forwards are, are – are trying to get to a spot that our four checkers trying to get to say around the, the, the blue line, right? The blue line, the Hawks would be defending. Yeah. Our forwards just don't seem to be as engaged uh, these last couple of years, all 200 feet. They, they don't seem to have the ability to shift to the mode that's needed in that moment. Yeah. That's what I like to call it. You know, yeah. the mode that's needed in the moment, they don't seem to have that ability as a, as a, as a total group. Clearly, there are players that are doing all the right things most of the time, but there are players that just don't seem to have that ability. Yeah. And and so I think those are things to look for. Just like I I had said in one of the early articles that you know when it when a team can't break out of a, a just a, a regular dump in right when the the two defensemen can't coordinate together uh, with forwards, it, you know that's a real bad sign, right? For the rest of the night, that yeah. that's like. You know, this is this is not good. That's I'd tough. also say very quickly, you know, Kitchen's gone, and I don't know if he was the inventor of the shuffleboard or if that was a cue thing. But remember, for years the Hawks were the only team that would do that one-handed shuffleboard pass that I mentioned in you know how I watch a hockey game. That thing is like completely disappeared from from play this year for the most part, and that was an extremely effective tool to relieve pressure. Right, mm-hmm. that one-handed shuffleboard pass, fend off a checker, you know, with, with, with your bottom hand and, and shuffleboard it with the top hand to, to a teammate. It, it, I don't know why they're not using that anymore. I think it's hurt their ability to get out of their zone uh, quite a bit. I don't know why they're not using it. I mean, the rest of the league started to do it. And then I, I just don't see it being used very much, uh, you know? So I, I just think, and, you know, people have harped on for years that their breakout schemes are the same. And it's hard to know what goes on in that room. You know, like Q is a Hall of Fame coach. Is his approach, hey, we just need to execute better. Uh, if we do what I tell you to do, we're going to be fine. Uh, or is it is it the fact that they haven't updated anything and everybody knows what's coming? The same lanes, the same type of thing. I would like to see them kind of change their use of the center. And I'd like to see some innovation. I'm waiting, like, at the ECHL level, Gate, you're a goalie. What would you think about why not have some breakouts that use the goalie? 
I don't know why no teams don't do this. Well, it's funny you bring that up because, uh, again, like I said, I'm just a 43-year-old barely goalie, but um, <laughs> I'm actually uh, – one of my strengths is playing the puck. I actually am very good at handling the puck and breakout yeah. passes. I will – if we're on the power play, I will race out and uh, send a pass up the rink to the, to the forward waiting at the other blue line trying to catch a team in a bad break, you know, a, a bad shift uh, change. Uh, I Sometimes it gets me into trouble, but, you know, more often than not, it actually works pretty well where, uh, you know, when my defensemen actually realize what I'm doing and are used to playing with me, they won't, you know, when the puck comes back in our end, my defenseman won't race back towards me. They'll, they'll fan out onto the boards nice. and, and open up lanes for me to pass because That's awesome. I'm actually a left-handed goalie, but I shoot right-handed. So anyone who knows how that works, yeah. um, you know, most right-handed goalies flip the, you know, either flip the stick over or they teach themselves to shoot shoot left-handed. Well, yeah. I'm actually I shoot right-handed, but I play goalie left-handed, which works to my advantage. I'm very comfortable shooting the puck and uh, making passes. So um, that's one of my strengths. So I completely agree with that. They, I don't know, I, I don't know if they trust goalies or they don't trust goalies. Um, handling the puck. I, I don't know what why they don't use that. Like with Marty Turco or someone like that. Sure, why not? I've definitely had it in games, and like I said, I play at no high level, where players will actually turn around and pass it back to me. Yeah. Use me. I, I, I'm not saying the Hawks should try this tomorrow, yeah, right? right? I mean, there's much bigger issues, but I, I point back to the, what's the purpose of the indie fuel, really? I mean, to me, that's a mad scientist laboratory of systems plays you know innovations play play the um uh the, the four and one four forwards one defenseman one time uh, what's the swedish the torpedo play the torpedo formation once in a while use the goalie as a breakout pass option you know try all these things try different power play schemes i, I don't you know, I don't know what they're doing down there. So, you know, it's you know. very interesting that you bring that up and I'm glad, I'm glad you have brought that up because you brought that up even earlier. And I wanted to, yeah. I wanted to kind of actually add, uh, add in sure. a little bit on that. And I've been hearing from my sources that really the Indy fuel, it's just like, it's almost like glorified, uh, rat hockey. Yeah. It's, Ooh. there's nothing like the defensemen are not developing. They're not playing all that well in the first place. And they're, they're getting run out of the rink a lot of times by teams wow. that actually might have some sort of structure, some sort of development. Like the, the, they were playing the Florida Everblades or whatever they were. And the team was yep. just rolling over them. And, and I don't think, I think that's counterproductive myself because you want to use that as a stepping stone to the AHL, which is then a stepping stone to the NHL. Instead, they're, what they're doing is they're just kind of dumping players they don't have room for in the AHL at the e, at the ECHL, and they're not really doing a whole lot with them. And and, and we're seeing this with like, you know, of course my favorite player, Colin Delia. Um, right. He's he's down there and he's he's practicing with the, the the Ice Hogs all week long, and then he goes down and plays with the Fuel, who are not a really good team, and he's just getting beat up all game long. And I don't know if. I really don't know at this level if getting beaten up by, you know, against teams that are way superior than the team you're playing for night after night after night is really developing you at all. I don't know no. that that's the case. I think it if, if anything, I think it's beaten down his confidence. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. You know, one other thing, if I could to, to address this breakout mm -hmm. thing, 
I'm a big believer in what I would call like progressive overload of game situations. So again, the Hawks aren't going to do this because, you know, at this time of the year, you know, but the idea would be you could try it with the, with the Hogs a little bit. You dump a puck in at practice. Maybe you, maybe you say no hitting because you, you don't want to hurt your own players. But you, you send three four checkers into one corner against one defenseman and just say, we're going to have a contest to see who can hold the puck the longest or make or actually make a play against three four checkers, right? So you let every D-man take on that challenge. Then you cut it down to two four checkers, right? Then by the time they cut it to what they are accustomed to, a single four checker in a game, the guy's going to feel like he's got a half an hour to make a play. Right, right. But, but teams don't practice this way, yet that's how the brain works, right? Right. So if I was a youth coach today that was running a team, I would do all sorts of these types of things where put the puck in the corner, three on one. And Johnny, you're. Let's just see what you can do with that. You're not. There's nothing you can do wrong here. Okay, just give me your best effort. Let's see what you can do. Then two, then one, and it's amazing how much better kids get, and pros, if you give them some kind of systemic overload situation. Cool. And th- these are, see, to me, these are the separators moving forward for an organization is figuring out a better way to train its players. In a, in a time and space game, right? Yeah. So you need to practice in ways that, that that stress time and space, that put stress on players in time and space. Cool. Um, yeah. So it's you know it's a it's a phenomenal sport. It's it's a just an amazing sport with like limitless options. That's yeah. why we all love it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been great. I really, this is awesome. I mean, all the questions and we had, we we could probably go on for three hours, but we don't have that much, that kind of time and. Uh, but I think we should definitely, you know, make this a regular thing where we get sure. together maybe monthly or whatever, you know, and we'll spread things out and we'll keep continuing to do this. So I should have warned you, that's the Irish in me. You know, you got to be careful. I feel like I'm in my kitchen. I nah, can- that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. That's I get the same excuse. way. <laughs> Just so you know, our my previous podcast, my previous website used to go three plus hours. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that was a barrel of We've kind of trimmed it down a little bit, so. But, uh, I'll get I'll get better. I'll get shorter. Oh, no, you're fine. You are fine. No, it's all good. It's all, all good. good. So getting, anyway, all getting smarter here. Yeah, wrapping up just a, a couple quick housekeeping things. I didn't get to sure. them at the beginning, but I'm going to wrap them up at the beginning here. Um, I want to read off this. We we did get a review, another review, which is good. Um, it's just a quick one. It was from Explosive Renteria, <laughs> which I don't know what that's you know I don't know what that's all about. But uh, it says Scoops Jekyll and Mister Goalie are fun, informative, and enjoyable to listen. Follow uh, follow them over at the Shoutcast if you want in depth analysis and good prospect reviews. Check these guys out five stars. So thanks to Explosive Renteria for and and the title was good analysis needs more cat. So yeah oh, yeah yeah um, that's all dude yeah. So anyway um I'm gonna I'm gonna get us all out of here. Bob I know you don't have a Twitter but you can uh, hey, you know okay <laughs> one thing yeah. I want to give everybody a heads up. Our guy, our guy in Rockford, Mario Tiribasi, um, is going to be posting um, a recap on the weekend of Rockford games, including um, an audio file of an exclusive interview he had with Rockford head coach Jeremy Colton. So hey. that'll be on the site tomorrow, along right. with uh, I think a uh, 
rather vitriolic recap that uh, <laughs> yeah for sure yeah, together to those for those that are listening you probably already know but the game ended seven five blackhawks lost and joe quenville pulled the uh the ultimate move that i hate and make, makes me pull what little hair i have out of my head which is uh pull the goalie with four minutes and 10 seconds to go in the game yeah well yeah you know i would just say again not to make this run long you can cut this out right so um I, there's a part of me that thinks that the the kitchen firing and the hammer thing that that was like the end, and I'm not sure. You know, I I don't play the game of find the guy to blame individually, but you know, there's been a lot of possibilities that that Q and Stan have had a tug of war, right? JJ mm-hmm. forever, and I just think like if you were going to fire the guy's best friend, you know, maybe you should have given him a little like why fire the, the guy's best friend? Just yeah, get, get rid of Q himself, or say, hey, look, here's the deal. You you know, you got one year to 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 make this better or something. I I just that that smelled bad to me the minute that happened. Not that I think Kitch was like a defensive genius, but. Uh, it just seems like that relationship is like in in, in the dumpster. Don't this you guys is a topic. Topic. It's a topic for another podcast. Yeah, for sure. I yeah. heard a lot of stuff about this over the summer. We could really? we could talk more about it. There's there's some some truth to what you're saying. Right. Yeah, yeah. That will just about wrap it up for this week's ringcast. As always, you can find us on all the popular social media at the Rink Official. You could find the Ringcast account. On Twitter, uh, at the Rinkist, you can find all of my stuff at Puck and Hostel. You can find my boy Double J J John Jekyll at J A E C K E L. Uh, you can also find all of our writing at www.the-rink.com. If you get a chance, please head over to iTunes, rate and review us. Uh, I understand the interface has gotten a little easier. If you uh, put up a review. Good or bad, we'll read it on the air. So thanks uh, again for taking your time out. Um, <clears throat> explosive Renteria. Uh, my last plug, uh, I want to uh, send a little bit of a shout out to Patrick Judge, who is the axe man for the band Demon Hunter. Uh, I just found out this week, actually, that he's actually been a longtime listener of the Shoutcast. And uh, he's a big Blackhawks fan. And uh, he's been listening for a while. So I want to I want to send a little bit of a shout out to him. Uh you probably don't know this, but the music that's playing underneath me right now, uh, that's a Demon Hunter song. So uh, if you're a metal fan, uh, go over and check their stuff out. Um, he's actually a, uh, a fan that lives down in uh, Purds land in Nashville, so he has to deal with those insufferable Preds fans. But uh, thanks again, Patrick Judge, for uh, listening and supporting us. So... Uh, Wrapping up, uh, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedules to listen and support us. Until next week, see you on the rink.